verses 18 through 22. The cost of following Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. look like? What does it actually look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like for you to say, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus and I am his disciple? What does that actually look like? Well, there's one guy who knows this very well. Uh, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He actually lived this out and this was a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anyone heard of him before? Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yes, a lot of us have. Well, when you go to London, if you've been to London and if you visited the Westminster Abbey, that is the church where kings and queens are coronated, that's also where um, Prince William was married in 2011. Now, above the Great West Door, there are these ten statues and in honour of Bonhoeffer, one of them is of him. So, you see that there. So, he is there. So that was completed in 1998. You see, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an important man. He knew about discipleship. He knew what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Lutheran pastor. So that's a close-up of that picture. He was a Lutheran pastor. He was a theologian. He was a professor. And he lived during the time of Nazi Germany. So this, this is during World War II, before that, and, and he died towards the end of that. Now, he lived during Nazi Germany and when Adolf Hitler came to power as Chancellor in 1933 and later dictator, Germany was under the control of, Nazi, of the Nazi party. Now, now, what some of us may not know, um, and that is, during that time, the churches, the state churches, the Christian churches, the Catholic churches, the churches just went along with them. Many ministers and pastors, they didn't really bat an eyelid with what the agenda of the Nazis were. They were more patriotic than they were Christian. And so many of the state churches and the churches just willingly went along. They submitted themselves to the Nazi party. And even as the Nazis grew in power, they became more influential, they began their terrifying atrocities, their evilness, the ghettos and the concentration camps. Many of the church leaders did not stand against it. They actually just went with it. The pastors, the ministers, they just went along with it. They did not stand up against the Nazis. And this is a picture here of Hitler shaking the hand of church leaders. 
One of them here, the guy he's shaking, was the bishop. And so Bonhoeffer lived during this time. He was thinking, is this the way the church was meant to be? Is this the life of disciples of Jesus? Was this how the church was meant to respond to the Nazis? And so Bonhoeffer thought, this can't be right. You can't call yourself a disciple of Jesus and not think that something was wrong with the Nazis. And so that was the problem that Bonhoeffer saw during World War II, before World War II and also during World War II. He thought, that can't be what discipleship was about. And so I want to ask you, what does discipleship look like? What does it look like for you to say, I am a follower of Jesus? I am a disciple of Jesus. I trust in him and I follow him. What does that actually look like? Well, in our passage today, it actually makes it very, very clear. It can't actually get any clearer than our passage today, our five verses. You see, in our passage, we meet two guys, two people, two would-be disciples. These two probably heard and saw all that Jesus has done, saw his wonderful miracles, saw his teachings and heard that, that he taught us one with authority. And so these two thought, maybe, just maybe, if I follow this guy, this awesome guy, if I follow him, maybe I'll get some of the perks that comes from him. Maybe there'll be riches and health and security if I follow this awesome man. And so they thought, yeah, I'll follow this guy. But these two were in for a huge surprise. And so we meet these two would-be disciples. The first guy we see, he was very eager. You see, the first guy, he promised too much too soon. And the second guy was also interested, but he, he was just too little too late. What he promised was too little too late. And so let's look at this passage. Keep your Bibles open and we'll just look through these five verses. So there are two responses. Jesus was heading to the other side, to the other side of the lake. And then we read of the first guy. He was described as a teacher of the law. That, that meant that he was a scribe. As a scribe, you were the leader of the Jews. You led people. You don't follow people. You were the teacher. You don't call anyone else teacher. But yet this scribe, this teacher, noticed something in Jesus. And so he came up to Jesus and he addressed Jesus as teacher. You must see the irony in that. He was the teacher. He was the Jewish leader. But he called Jesus teacher. And so he says in verse 19, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. But you see, his promise was too much too soon. How do you promise such a thing? I will follow you wherever you go. That's a huge promise. Now, I remember before getting married, over 20, 10 years ago, I did ask Yvonne, so Yvonne, while we were dating or we were courting, I did ask Yvonne, so Yvonne, will you follow me wherever I go? You know what Yvonne said? She said no. And I asked her again a couple of days later. She said, no. But of course, she was joking. I was joking because she is with me now. But, but you see, how do you make such a promise? I will follow you wherever you go. That's a huge promise to make. And so this guy, this teacher, he promised too much too soon. You see, this guy did not recognise what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. He did not understand what it meant to follow Jesus. He didn't recognise the cost of following Jesus. And so Jesus knew that. He got to the heart of the problem. He got right into him. 
You notice this in how Jesus replied. Jesus saw right through him. Jesus could see that he wanted to follow Jesus because of the comfort, because of the security that he might get. And so Jesus says, look at verse 20. He says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have no place, has no place to lay his head. Sounds strange, doesn't it, to suddenly talk about foxes and birds? And was, was Jesus some green ears, just, you know, turn the issue aside and, hey, look at the foxes and birds. Well, what's Jesus doing? Was he avoiding the issue? Well, not at all. You see, what Jesus meant, well, Jesus was actually getting to the heart of his problem. He wanted to follow Jesus for the comfort, for the security. Jesus could see right through that. And so Jesus talks about there is a cost in following him. You see, foxes, they have homes and dens to go home to each night. Even the weakest fox, the most stupid fox there is out there, the fox that just find it hard to make it in the world of foxes, the fox that gets scared by little bunny rabbits, those foxes, as stupid and weak as they are, they still have a home. They just dig a hole in the ground and they have a home. And even birds, as insignificant as they are, they have nests that they can fly home to each night. Jesus was saying, it's not going to be like that if you follow me. And so Jesus says, referring to himself as the Son of Man, now the Son of Man refers to an Old Testament divine figure from Daniel 7. The Son of Man is the one who is given power and authority over all creation. That is the Son of Man, the one who controls everything, the one who owns everything. And what does Jesus say about the Son of Man? that he'll have a castle and a throne. If you follow me, you'll live in my castle. You'll, you get to sit in, on my throne. You get to enjoy the finest food. Was that what Jesus said? Well, he said the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. The animals, the birds and the foxes have it better than their maker. And so Jesus got right to the issue, right to the problem, right to the heart of this man. You want to follow me? It's not all comfort and security. It's not going to be all joy and happiness. There is a cost in following me. There's no creature comfort, no permanent home to call home. Now, when we hear this, I wonder what you're thinking. I wonder whether you're thinking, this can't be right. It feels so uncomfortable. Are you sure, Jesus, this is what you're asking of me? To follow you means that there is a cost? Are you for real, Jesus? But Jesus was saying there is a cost. No permanent home, nowhere to lay your feet, to take root in. You see, our missionaries, the missionaries that we support, the missionaries around the world, the missionaries that our church support, I reckon they know this principle very well. They travel through these parts of the world that none of us would dare to go. They know that discipleship is costly. They make the willing sacrifices. They sacrifice the comfort, the security of our country. I mean, I find it very hard to leave our country. The lifestyle, the homes, they understand and they know that they are temporary residents everywhere they go. And so Jesus was saying here, so it is with the Son of Man. You want to follow me? It won't be like the foxes and birds. Like the Son of Man who had nowhere to lay his head. You see, these foxes, birds, they have a home to welcome them home to each night. But the Son of Man, what will happen to him? 
Well, he gets a welcome, a welcome by the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. They didn't welcome him home and, and, and enjoy the comfort. They said, crucify him, crucify him. That was the welcome Jesus got. And see, Jesus is saying here, you want to follow Jesus, there's actually no fine print. There's no fine print anywhere. You want to follow Jesus, you see the cost right up front. It's not like, you know, signing up to a credit card. Look at all this money you can spend that you don't even own. How good is it? It's awesome, credit cards, aren't they? Until you read the fine print. And you read the interest rate you have to pay back. And you realise you might as well sign your life away. But with Jesus, there's no fine print. It's not like, follow me and there'll be wealth and riches. Whatever you do will succeed. You'll have health. Pain and suffering will be a thing of the past. And then after that, I'll make you pay for it. I'll make you pay for it after that. You see, it's not the way it is with Jesus. Jesus says, you want to follow me. You want to be my disciple. Deny yourself. Leave everything you have. Leave it behind. Take up your cross and follow me. So Jesus says, this is discipleship. It is costly. Very, very costly. So count the costs. Count the costs before you follow. And this is why when I share the gospel of Jesus, I always take my time. I want them to always see, if you follow Jesus, you're saved for free. Salvation is yours for free. You don't have to do anything to go to heaven. It's a free ticket to heaven. But know this, there is a cost. A cost that your life must be changed. You must live differently. You must carry your cross. And so I always take my time in evangelism, in sharing the gospel. I never try to force and impose upon a person that you must believe. I tell them, you you must believe, but take your time because you need to know the cost. You need to see there's no fine print here. And so this first man, his promise was too much, too soon. Now what about the second guy? Well, the second guy, he's called a disciple here. He came up to Jesus. Look at verse 21. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now think about that response. What's so bad about it? It actually makes sense, doesn't it? To bury his father. It doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with it. If anything, that's the most important responsibility of an adult child. To bury your parents, to bury your father, to give your parents a proper funeral. That's the last thing you can do for your parents. And so that was extremely important, especially in the Jewish culture, you see. In the Jewish culture, it was scandalous to not bury your father, to leave your father unburied. And not only that, the duty of burying your father, your parents, took precedence over everything else in the Jewish religion. If you were a priest, you had temple services. Burying your father was more important than that. If you had a son who was born and it was the eighth day and the circumcision was due, burying your father is more important than that. And so in a sense here, the most important thing for any person to do as an adult was to bury their father. And so what did Jesus say? He knew that this is important. Of course it's important. You don't have to be a Jew to know that. So what did Jesus say? Yeah, of course, go off. Bury your father. I'll wait for you right here. When you're ready, when it's all done, when the morning's over, come back, I'll wait for you. Was that what Jesus said? Look at verse 22. Follow me 
and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. If anything, on first reading, that sounds so harsh. What's, what's wrong with this Jesus? Why is so mean? How could Jesus say such a thing? Let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead sort themselves out. They're dead anyway. Let the, those who are spiritually dead take care of those who are physically dead. How can Jesus say such a thing? You see, here comes the demands of discipleship. You want to follow Jesus? He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want 50%. He doesn't want 70%. He wants all of you, complete, utter, full allegiance, full commitment, total commitment to him. And that commitment must far exceed your responsibility as a child, as a son, as a daughter. It's also worth noting here that there's actually no suggestion here that this man's father was already dead. You see, if that was the case, he would have been home preparing the funeral, mourning. He wouldn't have been with Jesus. And so perhaps this was just an excuse to put off following Jesus, to stay home until his parents were finally dead, to put it off. And so what this man offered was too little, too late. You see, and that's why later in Matthew chapter 10, this was what Jesus said. He says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If anyone was to make such a request, that person would be a lunatic. And for anyone to follow such a person, you'll be a lunatic too. But because Jesus is who he says he is, he is God's own son, the king, sent from God, it makes sense for him to demand such allegiance. Our primary allegiance must be to Jesus, not even our family. Now, this is not to say that family are not important. The Bible puts a lot of importance on our family, on taking care of our family. They are important, but they are not the most important. Now, this is something, Yvonne and myself, we try to teach our three children. You'll probably think differently or do things differently, but that's okay. This is what we think and this is how we try to teach our three. We want them to see that their commitment to Christ must be greater than their commitment to us. And we want them to see that our commitment to Christ is greater than our commitment to them. Now, when that happens anyway, our commitment to Christ means that we will take care of them. We will love them even more so. And so what we do is this is what we try to teach. And so a couple of weeks ago, Esther came home from school with an invitation to go watch a movie. It was organised by the Parents Association in a class room in a year. She came home very excited. And I could see that she was joyful. You got to see, it wanted to see a movie and it was Mr Peabody and Sherman. Don't know what it is, but that was the movie. I saw the date on the invitation. It was the 16th of March at 10am. When was that? Last Sunday. 16th of March at 10am. So I asked Esther, so Esther, what do you think? Didn't even have to say much more than that. I said, Esther, what do you think? She looked at me and she knew. She actually knew. Yeah, she said... Uh, yeah, I asked her, so can you go? And she said, no. I said, why? 
She said, well, we've got church. And that's something we've been drumming into them, or not drumming into them, but teaching them. We are a Christian family. Our allegiance must be first to God. I, as a father, want her to go. I actually want her to enjoy herself, to watch the movie with her friends. I would want to see that joy, that smile in her face, on her face. But as a father, my commitment to Christ is above my commitment to seeing the happiness of Esther. But she understood that she's been hearing it over the, the last seven years. She understood, even though there was a little sense of sadness, there was a sense, a great sense of understanding. But then I did say to her, I'll take you another time, so don't worry. But she has learned our commitment as a Christian family must be above everything else. We don't go to birthday parties if it means we skip church. We go to church as a Christian family. This is who we are. And so that's what we've been teaching our kids. And so if we think about discipleship, that's actually nothing, is it? It's not much cost. doesn't demand too much of us. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. That's far more serious. It's hard to be a disciple, isn't it? It's costly, it's demanding. The first guy, he promised too much too soon. The second guy, he was too little too late. And so what are we to make of this? We've gone through five verses. What are we to make of this? Well, we've seen these two men, these two would-be disciples, and they were would-be disciples. What about us? Are we, are the people who come to this church, who call this their church family, who have been following Christ for years, are we disciples or are we just would-be disciples? What do you think? Let's think about it. Let's think about the first guy. Are we like that first guy there? This first guy, he calls Jesus teacher. Course Jesus rabbi. But did he teach Jesus as rabbi? Did he treat Jesus as teacher? And we can ask that same question of ourselves. Do we treat Jesus as teacher? Look, teacher, I know you are the great teacher. I know you are the teacher who can teach us about God. I'll listen to you. I'll read the Bible. I'll study it. I'll even memorise it. I'll commit it to my mind. I'll follow you wherever you go. Do we say that to Jesus? And then we put a clause. We have our own fine print. But only, only if it's not too costly, Jesus. I'll follow you if it's not too costly for me. If it doesn't cost me any more time. I'm a busy person. I'm a busy man. I've got so much things on each week. If it doesn't cost me any more time, I'll follow you. If it doesn't cost me any more effort, I'm doing so much already. If it doesn't cost me any more effort, I'll follow you. If it doesn't cost me any more of my finances, of my money that I worked hard, I sweated over to earn, if it doesn't cost me any more, if you leave me alone, leave my bank account alone, I'll follow you. If you don't interfere with my life the way I like it, the way I like to run it, then I'll follow you. If you can guarantee me all of these things, then I will follow you. Now, I wonder if that is what we're like. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, it's not enough 
for Christians, those who call yourself a Christian, a follower, a disciple. It's actually not enough for you to just see Jesus and admire him as just a teacher. It's not enough for you to just admire him as a moral teacher, even if it's the greatest moral teacher. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, count the cost, know the cost, and follow. No security, no comfort. That is the life of the Christian in this world. So what do we say? How would you answer? Or are we like the second guy? This guy calls Jesus Lord. Calls Jesus Lord, but did he treat Jesus as Lord? Lord, Lord, I'll follow you, but but just let me sort out my life first. Let me get my life in order first. Once that is all sorted and clear, I am satisfied, I feel at peace, then I'll follow you. Lord, first let me go bury my father. Or, or really, let me just wait until my parents are old and they're dead, I've taken care of them, they're not in my ears anymore, and then I'll follow you. Well, Lord, first let me, let me take that overseas trip and then I'll think about doing more, giving more, following. Lord, let me make sure my career is all sorted. I'm on some good career path. Once that is clear, then I will follow. Lord, after I've done all these things, then I will follow you. Now, what did Jesus say to that? Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see, it actually does not make sense to call Jesus Lord, but to not treat him as Lord. Think about it. If Jesus is Lord at all, if he is Lord at all, then he is Lord of all. If he's Lord at all, he's Lord of all. And so he's Lord not just of Sundays. He's Lord not just when we're gathered around Christians. He's Lord not just of our mind, of our wallets, of what we wear, of our homes. He's not just Lord of our hands. He's, just, he's not Lord just of our hearts. He's Lord of everything. All that we are and have and am, he's Lord of all of that. And so Jesus says, I demand complete allegiance. Not 10%, not 50%, not even 99.9%. I demand full allegiance, 100%, nothing less. Now, I wonder when we hear that, it's just a bit too much. You know, it's a bit bit too heavy, isn't it? I wonder, have you ever wondered, why is it that Jesus can lay such massive demands upon us? How can he do that? What right does he have? to lay those demands upon us? Well, the answer is because all of us, those who believe, have been saved completely and utterly by the grace of God. You see, our salvation, our place in heaven, is not dependent on us at all. None of our works contribute to our place in heaven. None of our good works helps us get into heaven. We've contributed nothing. It's not like we've paid some tax to God. You see, if we have paid some tax to God by doing good works, then we can claim to God we've got rights. I have my rights. You can't demand those things of me. I've paid my due. In fact, you owe me now, God. But because our salvation is completely and utterly the unconditional giving of Jesus of himself to us, it is completely by grace There's actually no limit to what Jesus can demand of us. There's nothing that he cannot ask of us. You see, our lives are his. 
Your life does not belong to you. It doesn't. Your life, if you call yourself a Christian, belongs to Jesus completely. My life does not belong to me. My life belongs to Jesus because he's purchased it by his death on the cross. You see, because Jesus is our saviour, because he has saved us, because we are saved freely by grace, he is also our Lord, our King, our Master. You see, we can't be flippant as Christians and say, Jesus, I'll take you as saviour. I like you as saviour. I'll take the forgiveness stuff of sins. I, I like that stuff. I'll take the free ticket to heaven. I, I, I like all that stuff. I, I'll take the fact that my punishment has been paid for by you on the cross. I'll take that. I'll take you as saviour. I don't want to take you as Lord. Not the Lord stuff. Don't rule over me now. I don't mind you as my saviour. I don't like you as my Lord. You see, that's not possible. You can't take one without the other. If Jesus is Lord at all, he is Lord of all. If he is our saviour, he is also our Lord. He is also our king. And so he can demand those things of us. He can demand our all. You see, grace is free. We know that. Grace is free. But it's not cheap. It's not cheap at all because what's the price that God placed on our place in heaven? What was that price? What did it cost God? Well, it was nothing less than his very own son. That is the cost of grace. Grace is free. It's not cheap. It's in fact costly. And so Bonhoeffer, he said this, It is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. You see, when we come to understand this, when we come to understand grace, that it is costly, though free, it is costly and not cheap, when we come to understand this, you can actually come to see how silly, how ridiculous, how absurd, how immature it is for anyone to say to Jesus, Lord, let me go and bury my father first. Lord, just hold on, wait for me, let me get my important stuff sorted out first, you just wait for me and I'll come back to you. You see how ridiculous that is? If that is the cost of grace. Now, I've often wondered if Jesus was to appear today in front of all of us and ask each and every one of us, those of you who call yourself a disciple, who say you are a follower of Jesus, if Jesus was to ask you, follow me right now, tonight, we're going to Africa a lot of lost souls there, a lot of souls itching, searching for eternal life. Come with me to Africa. I wonder how many of us would give reasons and excuses like that second man. Lord, let me go bury my father first. I wonder how many of us, if Jesus was to appear and command that of us, how many of us would leave our studies Maybe a lot of us would like to leave our studies, but we don't want to study. How many of us would leave our jobs? How many of us would leave our career? How many of us would leave our homes? How many of us would drop what we hold so dearly to and follow Jesus? If Jesus was to appear today, how many of us would say, Lord, let me bury my father first? 
Now, of course, this is not to say that you have to become a missionary to be a disciple. That's not what I'm saying at all. And the reality is that not everyone is cut out for mission work. Not everyone is wired up for mission work. It's not for everyone. But I do want to say this. If your work, if our work, if your career path, if whatever it is that you hold on to so dearly, even the family, is something that you won't ever, never consider giving up, you'll never forsake it, even for the sake of the kingdom, you won't even consider it, you won't do it, if there is something like that, then I want to ask what difference Is that to the man who said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I actually think that all Christians, if you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, all Christians should be willing to consider the possibility, the potential of leaving your career path, leaving whatever you dream of to be a missionary, to go into full-time gospel ministry. This is not to say that everyone will. Not everyone will do that. But if you are willing to make that sacrifice and say, I'm willing to do it, I'm not sure if I'm for it, I'm ready for it or I'm right for it, but I'm willing to, whatever it takes to follow you wherever you go, I think that's a genuine disciple. As opposed to one who says, there are some stuff, Jesus, that I will not give up. I'll never forsake it, even if it means following you. You see, Jesus expects nothing less from us than our whole, than our all. Discipleship is costly. It is demanding. Jesus expects us, all of us, and the whole of us, because he died for us all. He purchased us and he owns us. And so I wonder whether there are Christians today, just like there were Christians during the time of Nazi Germany, who just go with the flow. I'm happy with their salvation stuff. I love the fact that I'm saved. My sins are cleansed. I've got a free ticket to heaven. But leave that Lord bit out of it. Leave that bit so that it makes no difference to my life. I wonder whether there are people like that today. You see, this was what Bonhoeffer said. He said, we are disciples of Christ or we are not Christians at all. We are disciples of Christ or we are not Christians at all. So perhaps some we just have to admit, maybe I am not a Christian at all. I need to count the costs, see that there is no fine print and say, I will follow. You see, if we actually understand grace, understand how bad our sin is, that our sin was such a big deal that Jesus suffered horribly to pay the price for it. If we actually come to understand the, the, the love of God, the depth, the width, the height of God's love, that he would do that for us. What's the only response for a true disciple? The only true response is, yes, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. I will make whatever sacrifice you demand of me. Now, today we started talking about Bonhoeffer. So what did Bonhoeffer do? He understood discipleship. He wrote about it. He wrote the book called The Cost of Discipleship. He knew that discipleship is costly, that it is demanding, while the state church just went along with the Nazi regime. He saw this is not the way of discipleship. He couldn't do it, he wouldn't do it. Now, only three days after Hitler came to power, 
a young 27-year-old man, Bonhoeffer, he sensed that something was not right with, with Hitler. And so he went on radio to warn against a leader who was so worldly, who was idolising himself and his office. He said, that can't be right. Christ is our only true leader. And so halfway through that broadcast, that transmission, the, the Gestapo in fact stopped it. They cut it off. And from that point on, this young theologian, Bonhoeffer, was a thorn in Hitler's flesh. He saw the evilness and the sickening things that the Nazis were doing. And so he thought, as a disciple of Christ, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, I can't sit back and do nothing. And he said these words, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And so he considered himself, if I am a disciple, I can't sit back and do nothing. And so he knew, discipleship is costly and demanding. And he said these words, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That is to die to yourself. And he believed that. And he, in fact, lived that. He became part of a resistance group. He, he, along with many other Christians, tried to overthrow Hitler. They worked for many years trying to remove him from power unsuccessfully. They even tried to, to assassinate him, but unsuccessfully. But in the end... He paid the full price for discipleship. He did what he thought was right in God's eyes. He was executed less than a month before the end of the war, stripped naked, led to the gallows and hung. And his final words to his English friend, he said this, This is the end for me, but it's the beginning of life. This is the end for me, but the beginning of life. And that's why Bonhoeffer was honoured at Westminster Abbey. These are some of the martyrs, some of the Christian martyrs of the 20th century. People who died because they were disciples of Jesus. He followed Christ on earth and that meant for him following Christ into heaven. So whatever it takes, whatever it means, whatever I have to sacrifice... Will I follow Jesus wherever he goes? It's a question for you to ponder, to think and to pray about. Let us pray now.